So we're going to do the Christmas story, so turn to Philippians. Ah, you thought I was going to say Luke, didn't you? (laughs) Philippians chapter 2, we'll look at the first 11 verses. Paul writes to the Philippians while he's in a Roman prison chained to a guard, a Roman guard. The guards would serve six hours being chained to Paul. And being chained to Paul, the greatest evangelist perhaps that ever lived, uh, many of the guards were converted, became Christians. And without a doubt, it was because of Paul's testimony. But in Philippians chapter 1, talks about being of a single mind. Chapter 2, which we will look at, have a submitted mind. Chapter 3, have a simple mind. Chapter 4, having a settled mind. Know what you believe. Paul, he understood how we think as human beings. And for Paul, it was the truth. As a man thinks, so he is. We constantly change our minds, which allows God then to change our heart. Paul writes, while in prison, while being chained to a guard, he writes the Philippians a letter with a joyful heart. Now, not many of us can maintain a cheerful attitude under conditions that Paul was under when he wrote to the Philippians. But Paul will write about things about the Godhead that are revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul probably did not realize he was writing Scripture when he wrote the different letters to the different churches but in, in the book of Philippians, he is exhorting us to be in fellowship and be in comfort of the love to one another and the love to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So let's look at Philippians, the first four verses, and then we'll continue. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Paul will go on to explain how Jesus willingly submitted to God the Father's plan for our salvation. Our salvation came from, it had its origin in the loving heart and mind of God. Never was God stumped or perplexed about how to bring about salvation. He never said, oh my, man has sinned, now what are we going to do? 
That was never the concept of God. Jesus obeys. He submits to God the Father, and he submits to God's plan of salvation joyfully. Let me tell you a little story. I don't do many stories. I'll tell you one little story. The family pet Fido has died. Mom does not know how to break this news to her five-year-old daughter. So she says, here, honey, have some milk and cookies. Finally, the mom has to tell her daughter the sad news. Honey, Fido has died. God took him to heaven. The little girl has a reply. Mom, what does God want a dead dog for? <laughs> and many times that is us. <laughs> when sad things happen, we try to soften it. We try to dampen it with, and sugarcoat the bad news. Paul will be straightforward in his exhorting the Christians in Philippi. Paul tells us, take comfort. Take comfort in our love and fellowship with one another and with God. Let that comfort you. Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded and let our love be in one accord and in one mind. How do we do this? How do you do this without selfish ambition or being self-centered by conceit? Well, we do it by being humble. Paul says, esteem others equal to yourself. No, that isn't what he said. Paul said, esteem others better than yourself. You ever think about that? I don't look at your people better than me. I don't look at you for sure as being smarter than me. <laughs> but Paul says, esteem others better than yourself. We are to be watching out for the interest of others. Paul isn't saying pamper one another, but he's saying have a genuine concern for others and love them. And it's sort of like the way a parent will love and take care of a child. We're to exhibit that kind of love and care towards one another. Spread your love out. Spread it around the body of Christ. For we're to be known for our love for one another. Isn't that amazing? We're being known. Outsiders see us, and they see us, hopefully, as loving one another. That's something to think upon. Or as the psalmist would say, 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 la. Philippians 2, now we'll go through 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man. 
And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Christmas. That's Christmas right there. We're given here the premier example of Jesus and his attitude. We're to think upon these things. We're to ponder them. It's never about how we feel. So many times we get our emotions in front of how we should be thinking. In this passage, Paul, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, gives us God's plan of salvation. God's plan for us to have eternal life. And it gives us a look at God's heart for our lives and his plan for our lives. And we see that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. And he became a man. And he had the wants and desires just like you and I have. But he willingly lays aside being God. Jesus was equal to God the Father and the Spirit. He was not less, nor was he more. In John chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So let us listen up how Jesus became man and how Christmas took place. A truth here that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That's like trying to understand the Trinity. We can't really get a grasp on that, but he was fully God and fully man. So what did Jesus empty himself of? He emptied himself of his divine power. But yet we see Jesus doing many miracles. But Jesus does these miracles through prayer and dependence upon God the Father. We hear Jesus announce, he proclaims, I only do what I see my Father doing and saying. Therefore, the ministry of Jesus is a picture of God the Father working in Jesus through and by the Holy Spirit. You read through the Gospels, we see and hear Jesus chastise the Jewish religious leaders. Know this. And understand, it's God the Father rebuking the Jewish religious leaders. 
We read how Jesus and his disciples, how he came to his disciples walking on the water, walking on the Sea of Galilee. He does that at the instructions of God the Father. Jesus also rebuked the wind and the waves in a storm. God the Father. Jesus heals the sick, the lame, the blind. And he does this all from seeing God the Father doing these miracles. We see Jesus take up little children, set them on his lap, and bless them. It's an example of God the Father loving children and having compassion on them. We see Jesus telling Peter, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Big catch, directed by God the Father. Peter is told uh, about the temple tax. Go throw a hook into the sea, take up the fish, take the coin out of his mouth, and pay our temple tax. An action dictated by God the Father. And we see Jesus doing many good works on the Sabbath. Works of God the Father. All the ministry of Jesus reflecting upon God the Father. Yet, we hear Jesus' disciples say, towards the end of his ministry, Show us the Father, and that will be enough. That came from his disciples. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we hear Jesus say, of my own self, I can do nothing. This is Jesus saying that. Now, if Jesus was totally dependent upon the direction of God the Father by the Holy Spirit, here's a thought. How foolish are you and I to think we can attempt to minister in our own flesh and talents? Verse 7, Jesus became a man of no reputation. He became a servant in the likeness of men. Remember when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples? And then he, he says, do you recognize what I've done? Do you see what I have done? And then he tells them, go. You disciples do the same type thing. Jesus willingly took on a servant's mindset. <sighs> Maybe I'm strange. Don't answer that. Maybe I'm not. But one of the things that I observe that blesses my heart among you people is after a potluck. After the potluck. And it's the cleaning up process to see you people just pitch in, clean up, get out the vacuums, put the tables away, doing all that. And I, and I just get blessed that you're so willing to serve. We had uh, a visitor in here, and he says, you have a body of believers that really pitch in and do the work. 
and that's a good <laughs> testimony to have. To show hospitality is simply being a servant to others. That's all hospitality is, just serving others. Verse 8, we have Jesus as a man becoming obedient to the point of death, even, even the death on the cross. When did Jesus realize his destiny was to die on a Roman cross? Well, we know that as a young boy, around 12, he told Mary and Joseph when they were concerned, when they were panicking over his absence from their party that had departed Jerusalem, he told Mary and Joseph, as a lad of 12, I must be about my father's business. His father's business is for him to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he's to do that on a Roman cross. Now, at 12, he realizes this. What kind of life did he live? I would have lived a life of stress worrying about the cross. Jesus lived with the realization that he would go to a Roman cross. He lived with that. And Paul, again, he was receiving revelations from the Holy Spirit. From God, he clues us in. Therefore, God the Father highly, has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name. There's a principle here. If we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. He tells us this about Jesus. As human beings, our nature can be one where we spend enormous amounts of time and money to exalt ourselves. Dress for success. <laughs> Go achieve that advancement at work. Bigger houses, faster cars, demand respect from your peers. And don't dare be that servant of no regard. One of my greatest admirations is for that servant who does not need any recognition. And notice how Jesus humbled himself. But God exalts him by giving him a name that is above every name. Unfortunately, we hear the name of Jesus used in profanity way too much. But the day is coming when at the mention of the name Jesus, every knee will bow. Those in heaven, angelic beings and so forth, those on earth, mankind, believers and non-believers, and those under the earth, demons. 
I've done several funerals, and I'm amazed at some of the conversations I hear. I've heard men declare, when I get to heaven, they're assuming they're going to heaven, I have a few questions for the man upstairs. No, not really. <laughs> that person will be in a position of extreme humili humility with confessions only coming out of his mouth, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And these confessions will come from those who oppose God. They will come from unbelievers. And they will even come from demons that have fallen. They will confess Jesus as Lord. And here's the point. point. It brings God glory to hear people confess that his son is Lord. And all creation on that appointed day will confess Jesus as Lord. All the arrogant blasphemers, they will confess. All the even demons who fell with Satan, they will confess. Then they don't have a choice to confess. It's going to be required of them. So we have a decision. Each and every one of us have a decision. All of creation has this decision. Confess Jesus as Lord today or now and enjoy eternal life or confess on that day of judgment when only eternal separation from God is an option. Choose wisely to honor Jesus today. Enjoy Christmas as we celebrate Christ coming to earth. What a joy. The world doesn't see that. What is the image you get of Christmas before it comes? A tree, gifts around the tree? Or do you contemplate and think about how Jesus took on the form of man, humbled himself and became one of us to glorify the Father? To be obedient to the Father. We have a blessed hope. And it's never more that fully understood than at Christmas time. When we read and hear how Jesus came to earth and became one of us. And he came, he humbled himself knowing that he had to go to the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father, we're so glad that the Godhead had a plan for our salvation. We're so glad Jesus humbled himself and became a man, became one of us with all our insecurities, with all our wants, with all our desires, with all our flaws, Lord, you understood them. 
We thank you, Lord, that you came and you remain that sinless sacrifice for our behalf. You came that we might have a relationship with the living God, that we could go through life with the hope of eternal life. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to fret on what awaits us. We have that hope in you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for that hope. And Lord, may we share that hope here at Christmas time, when all the world celebrates Christmas. It gives us that opportunity to share you, Jesus. So may you be on our on our lips, on our tongues as we talk to others. May we share the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, for humbling yourself, becoming a man, and going to the cross for us. And that is the message of Christmas. So we thank you for it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.